Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Marcus Rashford's getting talked about as like having one of the best seasons ever, and he's this world-class footballer. He provides nothing to the game, apart from his goals. Haaland most likely, will never win an international tournament. And that, yes. is, that is the receipt that he will never really, you would imagine, be able to get near. People don't like to watch Salah play football. They don't think he's aesthetically good. Oh, well, this ripple effect is like ripping <laughs> yeah, through I'm yeah, missing so many things. <laughs> welcome to the ripple effect. Hello friends, welcome back to the Ripple Effect with James Alcott, that's me. Hope you're all doing wonderfully well, I hope you've had a great weekend. We're not going topical on this one, we're going down the Ballon d'Or route. It's a really juicy one, this one. I've just finished chatting with Nubaid. Nubaid Haroon is a great broadcaster, he's got a great podcast called the No Ratings Podcast. You should definitely go and check that out when you get a chance. But we dive into the Ballon d'Or. We felt like it was a good time to do it especially within the concept of the ripple effect, because you can talk about kind of what's happened in terms of the latest chapter, if we think about the last 10 years or so, and the dominance of Ronaldo and Messi, and what is the ripple effect of that? We're going to talk about that 2020 season when there wasn't one, and how certain people got robbed, and actually players who got robbed during the Ronaldo and Messi era, and how we look at the Ballon d'Or now in 2023, as opposed to previous years. And also... What do we want from a Ballon d'Or winner? What are we looking for? The word receipt is used a hell of a lot. And the reason for that is because there's certain criteria that you need to tick off the list to give yourself an opportunity of winning the Ballon d'Or and being chosen as the best player in the world. And we're going to try and give some players their flowers, but also allow them to be bitter with the fact that they could have won it if it had been a little bit different, if they'd been able to string it together a little bit longer, if they'd been given that trophy. And what about those players who don't play for those great teams who win those trophies? Is that a travesty or is that just par for the course? We will look at all of that and the ripple effects of all of them as well. If you are new to the podcast, really feel like we're finding a bit of a groove now. I think we've had some amazing guests on so far and you're going to love this one as well. I absolutely know. If you like football and just get get into those juicy topics, the Ballon d'Or is definitely one of those ones. If you are new to the podcast, do me a favor support me support this podcast and it really is so true that we can get bigger and better and more exciting guests if you follow the podcast give us a five-star rating as well and allow us to dominate the charts or at least the sports charts i think this is a cracking podcast and i want to get fresh voices but big voices as well on it and i need your help to do that so if you can do that for me that would be wonderful let's go through some quick fire ripples I'm not actually doing this on Monday because it's my birthday weekend. So uh, I'm allowing myself a wee bit of a break. As is the whole, actually, how crazy is this, right? 
our producer Jonathan, 27th of April. I'm 28th of April. And Kai is 29th of April, birthday-wise. Crazy. Anyway, first of all, uh, Rob McElhenney of Wrexham, of course, an actor as well. Uh, he uh, tweeted Gareth Bale. He said, hey, Gareth Bale, let's play golf, where I totally won't spend four hours trying to convince you to unretire for one last magical season. <laughs> and Gareth Bale goes, depends on the course. So is he flirting here? Is Gareth Bale going to come back? Starting from this tweet, you know, I always felt like, and I think Welsh fans did as well, that he had that desire to make his way back to Wales. One last season, do a Nicky Barnby here, go in, dominate League Two, which he would do. He would absolutely dominate League Two. I mean, it's a very physical league, so we might get a couple of wallops along the way. But <laughs> as Kai, our producer, has written, Bale signs for HMS Piss the League as it sets sail on another voyage next season. He's confident that his team, he's been watching a lot of Wrexham, are going to go and do the business. What it could lead to, of course, is my boy, Ben Foster. getting He's just started a new golf channel. Coincidence? Hmm. I'm not sure. I think he foresees that Gareth Bale might be on his way to Wrexham and the two of them are going to be playing several rounds of golf and he will pop up on Ben Foster's golf channel in the next few months. I can see it. I can see it right now. And more huge views for Ben Foster, who's utterly dominating it right now. What a man he is. Will he sign for Wrexham again? Time will tell. CryptoClop on Twitter. If you do have a ripple effect, get in touch. You can go on Instagram and, and message me there. What we do is we kind of like, we bank them all and then we put forward the ones that we find quite interesting. Uh, also on Twitter, of course, as well, uh, at James Alcott. A-double-L-C-O-double-T. It's in the title of this podcast. CryptoClop um, had a Bit of an odd moment himself. I did ask, where, why did you look into this? But he said, here's a dark ripple effect for you. Would Ryan Mason be Spurs manager right now if Harry Maguire didn't lose his man whilst playing for Hull City and losing Gary Cahill at the back post, which resulted in the career-ending headbutt for Cahill on Mason? I don't want to be, I don't want to obviously be rude in any way to, to Ryan Mason, but it is what it does show that it's amazing what can lead to to what and actually to a point that goes against the concept of the podcast you've got to kind of go with the flow a little bit you really really do because things are going to happen sometimes and there's so many interchangeable variables that can affect everything and of course have affected ryan mason i think the bottom line here is the reason why ryan mason's got to this point in his career is through hard work and application after and grit after dealing with such adversity so although it's an interesting one I don't want to attribute any kind of blame to Harry Maguire at all. Just to be clear. Or Gary Cahill, for that matter. Does QPR's win over Burnley last week? I'm still enjoying the glow of that. QPR plays Stoke this weekend. I have no idea what the result is at the time of recording. His win over Burnley. Uh, QPR's win over Burnley. Keep company at Burnley next season. It means that they can't break the all-time points score for the championship. Reading, I think, had that with 106. But does that mean Spurs won't get him? And proceed to panic and end up with either with another Nuno situation. I mean, time will tell. Looks like Nagelsmann is still interested, and I, I think it is an interesting job. It's got a lot of ingredients there that you would want as a manager. Will you be given the time? And is the expectation either too high, or after everything that's happened, do they just want better football and a galvanised squad? It's going to be a very, very interesting summer for Tottenham. I think the sooner they 
decide on someone, the sooner it will look from a optics point of view. I've been watching a lot of succession that it will look like it was their first choice in terms of who they've chosen. The longer it goes, the uglier it looks. Centre Devils, at Centre Devils, major breaking news. Sir Jim Ratcliffe is offering a deal for Man United that would enable Joel and Avram Glazer to remain stakeholders in the club. That's from Mike Keegan. Is David Moyes the most influential Man City manager to never have managed Manchester City? Signed both Lescott and John Stones for Everton. And has Haaland's performance against Arsenal led to Man City winning the league and rippled into an increased likelihood of him signing a new contract? This would take out his buyout clause. A lot of talk about this at the moment. And with Haaland there for an extended period of time, does that mean Pep stays for longer? Could it even lead to a statue for Haaland? Man City looking to dominate at the moment. And you know, going back to that Man United one... If Joel and Avram Glazer stay, Man United fans are not going to be happy. We did a great podcast on the United with the United People's TV uh, main man Sam Peoples, and he dove into the ownership and what he wants from it and what he could see occurring from it. So I think those guys sticking around is not what Man United fans want, and what happens from there, it gets pretty ugly, I think. But. You know, is there anything you can do? That's the problem with this stuff. Speaking of Erling Haaland, we are going to talk about his chances of winning the Ballon d'Or this year. He's got some competition. And that competition, I think, is possibly detrimental to the legacy of one of the greatest players of all time, if not the greatest, and also to the Ballon d'Or itself. All that will be revealed in just a second. You're listening to The Ripple Effect with me, James Alcott. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoy it. Right, Naveed. Naveed Haroon. Unbelievable broadcaster, host of the No Ratings podcast, which everyone should go and check out immediately after this, obviously, is about to talk about the Ballon d'Or in great detail with myself. We're going to talk about the Ronaldo and Messi effect and some players that could have won it, should have won it, and what's going to happen with it moving forward. You are perfect for this, Naveed. Thank you for coming on, mate. I appreciate it. A hell of an intro, to be fair. This this is probably the ripplyest of ripple effects that I think you'll ever have on, on the pod. Um, Ballon d'Or conversation with some of the names that are out there. Pff, ripple in hell. This is, uh, yeah, it's wobbly. It's wobbly for sure. Right, for, let's start off, let's keep it simple to start with. Because I think what's so great about the Ballon d'Or discussion is it's so subjective. So nice, broad opening question. And for all you guys out there listening... Have a think about what matters to you as well, because I think that does play a part in some of the travesties that have occurred over the years. <laughs> I say that loosely. What do you want from a Ballon d'Or winner? Ooh. What are you after? Because essentially, Ballon d'Or, the Ballon d'Or winner is the best player in the world that year. But how do you equate that? Oh, what a question. Go to your not, gut here, Nabade. I think you've got to go not, to your gut here. You know, do you want international? Do you need numbers? <laughs> Is it about moments? What do you need? I think it's a blend of all of those, but the one thing it isn't is team trophies, in my opinion. I think you can be the best player in the world at any given time and not have to have won the best trophy going. Um, right. So, for example, like if you didn't win the Premier League, but you were still the best player in the Premier League, I think that's allowed. And but I, I also that. want I want to be I want to enjoy watching you as well, which is I'm sure we're going to come to this, but there's a reason why lots of players don't get nominated 
Um, so I've got to enjoy watching you. I need a lot from you, and and you need to carry your team to some to somewhere. Um, and you don't necessarily need team trophies. Okay, so right, you can be a valiant loser because I think that's a big thing with this is that it's often when it comes to it is that blend so what they seem to be doing here and that's that has its own knock-on effect throughout the years is if you win the world cup or if you win the euros that kind of bumps you up a bit that get that is a big part of it you've got i feel like they think that you have to win the champions league you have to win your domestic trophy essentially you've probably got got to get a treble and so the likes of I was having this debate on last week's uh, episode of The Ripple Effect with uh, Boovy talking about Harry Kane and this idea that maybe his mentality is not spot on and he's not a winner, all this stuff. But I was like, when he's playing for such a poor team in the grand scheme of things in terms of winning trophies and you're scoring that many goals time and time again, if we had a different perspective of the Ballon d'Or and we were looking at it from a point of expectation and what's going against you oh but that... then you would start to chuck someone like harry kane into this conversation but of course we never do he gets no way near despite being the best you know premier league goal scorer over the last good few years we chuck salah in there as well we're going to talk about salah in detail by the way but do you know what i mean i think yeah. that from the start from the jump right the lens of which you look at the ballon d'or both personally and you know the the wider public and the people that you know make it so international tournaments seem to make a massive difference Jorginho getting involved in the voting oh. being in the conversation alone is absurd to me but when you win the euros and you win the champions league those are the bumps up that you get it seems from the wider public and from the, the those people that vote but I think you. I think if it comes to internationals, if said player has impacted that international team and elevated them to that level, that's very different to club football, in my opinion. I think you can be like the best player in your team at club football, and your team not do well because it's thirty-eight games and so many things can happen. You pick up injuries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Tournament football is for four weeks. Can you put everything you've got into this? And Jorginho for that Italy team. How did he get it? How did he get in this conversation? I need to see that's, the voting panel. <laughs> uh, well, exactly. That's it. But I, that's what I mean. It's so murky, which makes it like really juicy in terms of diving into it properly. But it allows you to make cases for people. And when you see some of like the runners and riders over the years, again, if you want to go down that trophy road, for example, David Beckham finishes second in 1999. Rivaldo wins it. Rivaldo doesn't get out of his Champions League group. David Beckham wins a treble off the back of being completely chastised. You know, if you want to add extra narrative when it comes to someone like David Beckham, is Rivaldo a better player than David Beckham? Probably. Was he better over a longer period of time? That's up for debate. And did he have a better season? I don't know. This is where I'm getting lost already. It feels like it changes though all the time as well. I think the Champions League is definitely like the golden club level trophy. Like if your team win, I mean, but it completely goes against Beckham because he went and won the Champions League. But I think it's That's changed it. over the years. I think, yeah, it's 
the the Ballon d'Or is probably one of the most puzzling awards out there because I think it it suits whichever narrative is running that season, and somehow that narrative ends up winning it. Apart from one year, which we're going to talk about, which has me raging because there's two <laughs> contenders that year that definitely should have won it. But we'll we'll come to that. I don't know if I'm going to answer that question, and I don't know what the answer is as it comes out of my mouth right now. For a Ballon d'Or winner, I th- I feel like you do need a trophy. I think you do need a trophy. But you need moments within that. And it is a concoction. And things can be trumped. What I think is really interesting, we're, we're going to talk about the Ronaldo and the, the Messi effect and how that could affect the next 10 years or just the future of this award. Which again, people don't like this award, but you've got to have player of the year, haven't you? You have to have these things. The focus on numbers when it comes to these guys is a really, really interesting one. But also, I think one thing I wanted to talk about before we totally get into that is position. Can you be a non-attacking player and win the Ballon d'Or in modern times? Because there's not many of them. There really isn't many. Cannavaro in 2006. Van Dijk finishes at second in... What year is it? In 2019, Jorginho finishes third in... Jorginho finishes third in (laughs) 2021. But aside from that, there are very, you know, in the modern era, there's very, very few non-proper attacking players. Pavel Nedved won it in 2003. Do you have to be an attacking player to win it? And if not, what have you got to do? Cannavaro won it because he won the World Cup as well which is like the absolute extreme scenario for a, for a defender to win it. I don't think in the, in the modern day and age, the way the game's developed, defenders can win it because the game is become an attacker's game. Uh, you have like fullbacks who can be perfect for 90 minutes to get taken on once and they're the worst fullback in the world. And that attacker, say it's Vinicius Jr., will get sort of captioned as the best winger in the world for that game or he tore him to shreds that game. I think the game's developed too much. I think there's key... There's, cer- there's a certain keeper in mind that I think should definitely be up for this, but it will never get considered because he's a goalkeeper. Um, and so it really just comes down to who can score the most goals, which is not how this trophy should be judged. Yeah. Well, Joe, one one thing, one name that we haven't spoken about, Luka Modric in 2018. Did he just about get around it? <sighs> but again, uh, that, that... He, and also, actually, is he is he the outlier? Not... Obviously, not not an attacker, but not about numbers. Won won the Champions League, I think. Yeah, just the Champions did, League that year, and got to the final with the World Cup, but didn't win the didn't win the World Cup. Here's a ripple effect for you: if Benzema had if Benzema had settled everything with France, having won the Champions League, then goes plays in the World Cup. And probably in a 4-2 victory, he's probably knocking about and maybe getting a goal within that. Does he win it in 2018? Over Luka Modric because he's got those receipts of numbers, goals, and probably not actually enough numbers, actually, because he was still in the shadow of Ronaldo, who was second Mm. that year. But at least he's got the trophy receipts. This is the thing that I hate about it now, but I understand about it now, is that it is about receipts. Football is turning in. It's like basketball. Yeah. We always follow from the Americans and you're looking for numbers. 
And let's move on to Ronaldo and Messi because their numbers are absolutely disgraceful. And they they broke it all up prior to that. Prior to 2008, so between 2008 and 2017, Ronaldo and Messi uh, were the only two people to win the award. So prior to that, there was loads of different options. But these two, and I think in particular when it comes to these two, Ronaldo. Ronaldo was always about the numbers. Has he, has he put the numbers in everyone's head forevermore and it will be about that? moving forward and that will be the most important receipt or can we still get away from that i think the whole game is about numbers now though like aside from goals like yeah ronaldo definitely put up the goals and that's a that is actually how we compete with messi if we're completely honest messi for most people is the best footballer that out and out footballer at that time ronaldo was a good and a great footballer but he scored a lot of goals to make him unforgettable and you have to put him in the conversation I think right now the game is so much about 26 in 12 games like that sort of whole Haaland conversation now that like the moment people go oh you can't put can't put this guy in that conversation he's only scored 15 goals in his last 11 we've got a guy who's got 20 I think the game like Ronaldo has definitely had the biggest ripple effect in the Ballon d'Or it is now a goals competition uh, and so if you do score the most goals, you probably will run the Ballon d'Or very, very close. Mm. That kind of kind of like leaves not many players left over. You have to be a striker or a goal-scoring winger. Bye-bye full-backs, bye-bye centre-backs, bye-bye goalkeepers. And along with that, and never, uh, Mohamed Salah was talking about this recently. He was chatting to Rio Ferdinand. He was saying how, yeah, I want the goals. I want the golden boot. But I know that if I, sco- you know, if I score enough goals, we'll probably win something as well. So I th- I think that helps when you're trying to win the Ballon d'Or is that if you get enough of those goals, you'll probably win one of those major honours. But that in itself as well is interesting is the fact that the idea of one in two was enough. One in two used to be enough <laughs> in terms of those numbers. And now if Haaland, Haaland obviously is one of the, you know, the runners and riders on, on what I think will be quite a embarrassing, mm, what could be thought of as an embarrassing Ballon d'Or this this year. But his his numbers now, when we look at next season, if he's not scoring one in one, he's off, isn't he? He's not fit, you know, he's not in form. That's where we're right. at now. But he's, he. I think he's a very exclusive type. Like there isn't many Haaland's like he actually only wants to score goals like, his function is just to score goals and I think his overall game will improve gradually but we are gonna he's only gonna be judged by goals but I think there's strikers out there like Kane for example who you don't solely just judge by goals because he provides so much more to a game true but but when we're talking about this competition or winning this award Benzema last year we're going to talk about Lewandowski in 2020 Messi and Ronaldo over the last 10 years, you've got to be one for one. You have to be one for one to win it. I think the reason Lewandowski didn't win it, and we'll come to it, is because he only scored goals. So I think there is like a clamour for like, can you be sexy and score goals? You know? And I don't think, I'm not going to say, I don't want to say it too loudly, but right now, Haaland isn't sexy scoring goals. He's just scoring goals. And where that's where the difference is with Ronaldo. He set the template that he could be sexy while scoring goals physically, but also in terms of the types of goals he was scoring. Right. Haaland, that's interesting with Haaland as well, because I found myself in the recent game against Arsenal going, oh, wow, his hold-up play is good. 
I was going yeah, crazy yeah. about his hold-up play. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's kind of, kind of, not basic, but, you know, it should be part of it. But it's, the focus, obviously, with him has been goals, goals, goals. Uh, in that period of time then, 2008 to 2017, so when we're talking about Ronaldo and the Messi effect, we're really talking about, do you think we're really talking about Ronaldo? Because Messi, yes, the numbers are always there, but there's, there's a magic about him regardless, isn't there? Because it yeah, did feel uh, like every year it had to be one of the two of them, didn't it? Well, Messi could like not... I think this is why he's the best player ever because like he was also putting in the goals that Ronaldo was while doing everything else. Um, mm-hmm. And so Ronaldo might have set the bar for like, what can you do on paper? I think Messi set the bar of aesthetics. Now there's a desire for players who dribble nicely. There's a desire for players who... Like Eden Hazard keeps getting in conversations like... He hasn't done anything for about 10 years of football. Like, I love the guy, but people love the aesthetics. Like The aesthetics are getting a big push in the game. That's the messy effect, I think, in the Ballon d'Or. That's fascinating. And actually, again, we're getting us ahead of ourselves a little bit. When we look to this year's possible winner, Messi is obviously one of the front runners. And if he does win it, sort of a part of that is gently the numbers, but not strongly. But it's more of a Modric winner kind of style of win but we'll get to that let's talk about some players that could have broken the cycle because that's the other thing michael i'm not i don't want to have a go at michael owen but (laughs) michael owen is a ballon d'or winner michael owen let me say that again michael owen who was a wonderful wonderful striker but will admit himself and does so in his book he says that basically his hamstrings were done by the time he was 21 and yet he still was able, because of his finishing ability, he was able to to win, beating Raul and Oliver Kahn, who finished third. But because that was before the Ronaldo and Messi era, there's probably players that, in a broader conversation, would go would be able to go up against Michael Owen, but didn't win it because I think a big part of this as well is the profile of the player. And moving forward... There's good, there could be some problems and stumbling blocks for certain players because I think deep down you can only have one main guy at each club. And one of the options, which I, I let's go to this one, we'll skip it a little bit. Neymar finished third in 2015 to sort of explain this point. I think Neymar obviously leaves, he has a great season that season, his numbers aren't as as strong as Messi's. I think Messi scores 58 goals that year. He scores 42 goals in, in 54. Disgusting. <laughs> Embarrassing. <laughs> he finishes third in 2015. That's the year where he stepped up when it was uh, La Remontada, which we've done a podcast on, by the way, chatting to PSG and Barcelona fans about that 6-1 game, which was just a joke. 18 assists that season Great as well. episode. Thank you, mate. <laughs> huge, um, huge in the Champions League for them. And of course, they win, win the treble as well. He moves that season. And I don't know if he's admitted this or not. Tweet me, guys, if he has. But he moves because he wants to be the main guy. And he knows that he's not going to get the focus, get the penalties time in, t- time in, time out, get the numbers if he's at Barcelona. He knows that because Lionel Messi is there. So moving forward, just to provide an example of a player that was probably wonderful and had moments, we're talking about moments, in 2015, 
didn't have the numbers. And so moving forward, are there going to be a lot of people that can't get near it? And that could cause problems because they want to be a Ballon d'Or winner in their career. Those those individual honours, do you think that they will get in the way of, of modern day footballers, especially the best? So I disagree slightly. I think because he was in the trapped in the Messi-Ronaldo era, people didn't even look at this guy. And I think there were times, 2015 in particular, where he was actually Barcelona's best player, in my opinion. Um, Messi was outrageous, but I think Messi had set the bar so high he hadn't achieved the bar from the previous year, if I'm not wrong. Whereas Neymar was actually like out of this world that year. Um, but then I think you are right in saying he he left because he wanted to become the main man somewhere else so people would look at him. And I think depending on where you're at in your career and depending on which club you're at, um, you to win the Ballon d'Or, I think you you can be a part of a wonderful team, but you have to be now. You have to be the like shining star, the one that's like the the fairy dust at the top. Like he he's the one that made it happen. Um, I don't think Neymar can ever win the Ballon d'Or at PSG because they'd have to win the Champions League. They'd have to win League One. He'd have to win an international trophy. It, it's that it's not feasible, especially at his age, the amount of injuries he's got. I think he lost he's lost his chance now to win the Ballon d'Or. If he stayed at Barcelona, would he have won the Ballon d'Or? No, because Messi was still there. So it's like it, he was just he's just unlucky, I think. Like genuinely just unlucky. Yeah. It, and he's he suffers there from B this that that's where I think we agree, is like you can't be the B side. You can't be the B side. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but would, Van Dyke finishes but, second or third or whatever it is, right? He was never going to... Van Dyke's never going to win the Ballon d'Or. Salah was always going to be the one that could have won the Ballon d'Or in these last few but, years for someone like Liverpool. I think actually Van Dyke's got more votes than Salah's ever had in a Ballon d'Or contest. So, but again, like that is like Van Dyke that year was being talked about as like the best defender to have ever lived. Like that's how yeah. difficult it is for a defender to win it. He hadn't been taken on in like fifty four games or whatever it was. And so, like, yeah, but you are right; he would have never won it. Like that's the that's the he was eight votes off it, but he still would have never won it. So that kind of leads you to go like, well, Neymar, you never had a chance then, because if Van Dyke was that close and performing at that unbelievable level, like, yeah, Neymar too many stumbling blocks. Too many stumbling yeah. blocks for Neymar to ever win it. He had to have, he had to have won the World Cup. He had to. That's the that's the big thing. And he never, if he'd not, he's never got that. And that's what that's so unfair. That's so unfair. Like that's what I, mean, I think though, mate. there were. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I think there were periods in in that sort of eight year, ten year space when he was at Barcelona. There was a couple of years where I think he could have actually won the thing. He could have actually won the Ballon d'Or. He just didn't because Messi and Ronaldo were always going to be like, you know, like the story just built. Like if one had to win one, the other one, it may, it, we would never have this conversation if Neymar went on one, just one in that 10 year period. Yeah. And because you know, the the biggest ripple effect for, for this is that you, if Neymar wins a Ballon d'Or, any of these players win a Ballon d'Or, whatever your highest accolade is, that's how you get introduced into every room for the rest of your life. That is mm. your strap. That is your lower third. <laughs> like Michael Owen. I bought Michael Owen. I'm going, guys, can we just make sure it says Ballon d'Or winner 2001? <laughs> like, but so Neymar, Neymar can never put forward with legitimacy that he was the best player in the world. That is just, that is a cold fact. We're going to be back right after this. Thank you. 
Spring is here, and you can now get almost anything you need for your sunny days delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a well-groomed lawn delivered, but you can get a chicken parmesan delivered. A cabana? That's a no. But a banana? That's a yes. A nice tan? Sorry. Nope. But a box fan? Happily, yes. A day of sunshine? No. A box of fine wines? Yes. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol in select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So in that Ronaldo-Messi era, we've already said that Neymar, you know, he is a casualty of this. Fernando Torres. Nabade, 2008. Let me take you back. An incredible season for that man at Liverpool. 33 goals in 46 matches. He finishes third behind, guess who? Lionel Messi in second. And Ronaldo, who has just had a fantastic season, obviously, for Man United, scores 42 goals, won the Premier League, won the Champions League. Did miss a penalty in the Champions League final but also scored the equal, uh, the, the opening goal as well. So, so we'll allow that. But Torres, coming back to what we said right at the start, is a little bit robbed here because he's playing for... He hasn't got the receipts of the trophies, but mm. he does have one trophy. In 2008, of course, Spain win the Euros. Now... It doesn't sound like a compelling argument for it to just be that. But in the context and with the weight that international football can often have on this prize, and this is Spain prior to winning anything, anything. I'll say that a third time. Anything. They'd been perpetual bottlers. Imagine Arsenal and Spurs times 10, right? That was Spain because <laughs> they had great players time and again. And Torres scores the goal to wash that away. Should he at the very least be second, if not top? And he's playing for a worse, worse side. Messi Ronaldo era, though, man. Like, like in my <laughs> eyes, Torres is like the most, like the greatest human on earth. And that was his first year at Liverpool as well. And I think, if I'm not wrong, at that time, the Premier League definitely had an image in their mind over Spanish players as well. There was always this thing like, like they can't mix it. They're not physical enough. The league's too tough for him. He came in and just slapped up every team we get, Liverpool came up against. He took Liverpool to the next level. Uh, if you're thinking Suarez 13, 14, like it was kind of like that. Then he's gone and done it at the Euros for Spain. And also that was the beginning of Spain's then like dominance for however many years it was. And he was unbelievable in that tournament as well. Um, but then <laughs> he's up against Ronaldo and Messi. So it's like, what do you do? You know, like Torres, I, don't, I wonder if Torres is going to bed now thinking... If I, if, I, if I did that a year before, maybe I would have won, maybe I would have won the Ballon d'Or. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he didn't. So it's like... If Torres, as a Liverpool fan, if Torres wins the Ballon d'Or in 2008, does he leave Liverpool sooner? Does he go to Chelsea? If he doesn't go to Chelsea, he doesn't score a hat-trick against Queen's White Rangers when we lose 
six nil, whatever it was. And he also doesn't score that semi-final goal against Barcelona. And therefore, Chelsea. Chelsea don't win that Champions League. And I still have the dream as a QPR fan of thinking, well, as long as we win the Champions League before Chelsea, then <laughs> there's still something to compete for. The thing, first and foremost, he first goes game. to Chelsea much earlier, I think, because okay. uh, there was a recent clip actually that came out where he said that the the board at Liverpool or whatever were promising him that they were going to improve the squad. And then the moment Chelsea slapped 50 million in for him, the board went, hey, see you later. Um, so like at that time, Liverpool were 100% like a sale-to-buy club. If he wins the Ballon d'Or, Chelsea at that time were money-hungry and splashing left, right and centre. I think Liverpool scooped well over 50 million because when Liverpool got 50 million, his groins were gone. So this is the yeah. first thing. Um, does he score a hat-trick against QPR, mate? Only you will remember that game because I do not remember that game. And then My QPR brethren the- remember that game, okay? I, I actually, you know what? I'll put. It, I think Chelsea win the Champions League earlier if Fernando goes Chelsea earlier, because Oof. in the Champions League he was killer for Liverpool, um, and Chelsea were struggling in the Champo League at that time, and they needed this this forward who could score in big big occasions. I think Liverpool were runners up in was he, no actually for Liverpool we never actually did that well in the Champions League with Torres because our team was garbage, but he would always turn up, and I think if he goes Chelsea the year after, you know. I think yeah, I think Chelsea won the Champions League much sooner than you think. I think I think you're forgetting it's still that Barcelona side, so you've still got a problem there. Oh, well, this ripple effect is like ripping. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think, yeah, I'm missing so many things. <laughs> welcome to the ripple effect. That's the problem. There's still the barrier of Barcelona within all of that. But you know, as I say, did Chelsea win more titles? Do does, does Drogba leave earlier? But to be fair, though, Inter Milan won it in 09-10, I think. That could have been the year Chelsea won it if Torres was there. Sure. They obviously beat Barcelona in the semi-finals. It could have... Look, it's a butterfly effect. Anything could have happened. Let's keep moving. I'm just saying, Torres, Torres was close because if you have... If you provide... Again, I think if this is in the 90s, I, I think the international stage is bigger or, or felt more... As as more of a, a an impactful thing than the Champions League. Now it's all it feels like it's more about the Champions League and international football is beneath that. That's how it feels to me now, and I think it's how it feels to a lot of people now. And I think because of that, Ronaldo having had the Champions League, Premier League, and forty two goals was enough. Whereas in a previous season, you know, a Cannavaro winning it, it was because it's because they've gone. Uh, okay, well they won the World Cup. Who's the best player for them? Mm. Give it to him. That's, I think, what happened with that one. Uh, Neuer was finished third in 2014, obviously won the World Cup at 15.72% of the vote. Uh, I think this is, you know, this is defensive position tax here. But if he has, if he does win it, it, does that provide the opportunity? Does that, you know, break that glass ceiling of allowing goalkeepers, defenders to win it a little bit more often? Again, it's not sexy enough and that's probably why it never happens. But you were talking about a goalkeeper that you think should be knocking about in these conversations. Is now the time to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, Alison Becker is the best goalkeeper in the world by a mile. Um, I think he like he's genuinely, it, for this generation of goalkeeper, he's absolutely unbelievable. There was a stat going around last season that he saved 16 guaranteed goals. I think it was all 14 guaranteed goals. Um, that just, just ha- doesn't happen on a regular basis. His impact when he joined Liverpool, I know it's always Van Dijk and Salah they get talked about, but Liverpool didn't have a, go- a good goalkeeper for so many years. Liverpool win the league uh, in 
the year when Mignolet like was horrific in 13-14 of Allison's and goal, 110%. And so that's the difference of a goalkeeper being able to do that. I, I think like you pick up Allison and go, hey, QPR, you have Allison, mate, you're getting promoted. 110%. He's, he's like, he is that, he's that good. that heavy? Mate, mate he's, much honestly, QPR, <laughs> he's honestly one of the most outrageous goalkeepers I've ever seen. He makes goalkeeping look an absolute doddle. Now, if Neuer goes and wins it that year, goalkeepers are in a much better situation and getting much closer now. And Neuer could have actually won it that year because he was definitely that year, I would say, like in the top three goalkeeping years ever. Yeah. Obviously, yeah, international tournament. He's got that receipt there as well, but it obviously wasn't enough. But we, we, we keep saying international tournament. Is that even a receipt that counts at this stage? Because there's certain like lawyers got the international receipt. Torres had the international receipt. Well, we, look, when we talk about this season, we'll we'll be talking about because it, it feels like the international receipt is <laughs> the receipt that matters now. A couple of other names that have missed out in this generation and. Yeah, if you guys think of any, please do let me know because I'm fascinated to, to hear about it. And this is actually the reason why I got you on the pod and also why we thought to do this podcast because uh, me and producer Kai were talking about Salah and how Salah's had a solid year. But again, in comparison to his previous years, it feels like a little bit of a drop-off and obviously Liverpool had a tough year as well. Is, will Mo Salah go down as one of the greatest players not to have won a Ballon d'Or? Question one. Second question. Did he end any chance of ever winning the Ballon d'Or when he signed that contract for Liverpool in the summer? I love the fact you went, we, we wanted to really get you on the pod because of Mo Salah. <laughs> Wherever there's a Salah conversation, we're getting him on the pod. <laughs> I, was just, I was just like Liverpool, but someone who could actually really be honest with that conversation. Because my view on it is that if he's at Real Madrid, he's playing instead of Rodrigo. Maybe they're playing differently. And, you know, this is another conversation, but that semi-final, Man City and Real Madrid, could lend itself as a big sort of... Um, yardstick towards who will win it this year if it's done correctly but I'm not sure it's going to be but if Mohamed Salah is playing there he hasn't got to deal with what's going on here at Liverpool mm. and bizarrely the Real Madrid it doesn't really matter if they win the league or not as long as they win the Champions League they'll still have someone like Benzema win it but so Mohamed Salah won't be going anywhere for the foreseeable can Liverpool get back to that place there's a lot of rippling out here at the moment. I think, first of all, I think if Salah goes to Madrid or Barca, he's just increased his chances by 50% of winning Ballon d'Or, 110%, because those clubs is where the Ballon d'Or almost belongs. And we're going to talk about that year that got missed out. Um, and I think that probably tells you that they want to make sure that Ballon d'Or trophy lives somewhere over there. Also, I think if he goes to Madrid, it's a guaranteed Champions League like without failure. The numbers he's put up and the fact that people are saying he's been off it this year. Marcus Rashford's getting talked about as like having one of the best seasons ever and he's this world-class footballer. He provides nothing to the game apart from his goals. Salah currently has the third highest goals and assists this season. And that's where I think like he's he's one of these players that aesthetics massively comes into it. People don't like to watch Salah play football. They don't think he's aesthetically good. 
Um, and so when people think back to history, they often go, Hazard's been better that year. 17-18, he got 32 goals, 10 assists, 11 goals in the Champions League. He was just playing for a Liverpool side that couldn't get a trophy over the line. And so therefore, that's where, going right back to what I said at the start, Sometimes there's situations where I think players don't have to win the golden trophy if what they do elevates the team and and it puts him on this pedestal where he actually broke the record that year as a wide forward. There's so many like different narratives do, do, as to do, do, why he could have been be, closer. Is the fair lens, if you go, you're not allowed to think about numbers, but if we're picking teams, if we're picking teams for an 11 aside game, who's your first pick? Because the, in 2017-18, or over the last couple of years, maybe certainly there was so much talk, wasn't there, last year when he was running so hot, you would pick him first. He'd be your first pick. But by the end of the season, this is another thing that's a problem with the calendar year is a ripple effect in itself, right? Because it, <laughs> uh, if, it's done, if it's done at a different time, then Salah's obviously going to win it. But then when it gets to the end, it then becomes about who who gets those trophies and Benzema scores his goals and then it looks very different. But if you're just picking the best player in the world for your team to win a game of football, there was probably a moment certainly where Salah was the best player in the world. I mean, have you seen a Premier League player? I've got the stats in front of me between what, how many years that one, two, three, four, five, five seasons discount this season where he's got the numbers that he's got. But if you're saying like discard the numbers, you want a right winger for the last five seasons. I am hanging my hat, this house, and even my wife on Salah playing. Right wing. Hang your wife. <laughs> <laughs> not in them. Not in, <laughs> not in them words entirely. But I, 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 I cannot see an argument to not have him in there. Um, that is yeah. a ripple effect in itself. Uh, but yeah, do not, do not. Do you, do you, yeah. <laughs> So Mo Salah, I think, I think if he, I think if he doesn't sign the contract and he forces a move, I think he's in with a shout of still finding his way to that Ballon d'Or, and I know he's thirsty for it. And you're right, you know, when we we way back when we did a show, ripple effect of why you're here today, we did an FPL show, and that was probably one of the first years where Salah was just a joke. But he was such a guaranteed must-have pick. And that does mean something because the output is there time and time and time and time again. I think you're right. It's a good comparison when you talk about Rashford and, and Salah's. The thing is, it's about expectation a lot of the times. And because he's been it's so ridiculous. If he's mm. slightly if he's even just ridiculous, then you think he's having a bad season. Another person to chuck in there, because our, our as I say, our Jonathan and Kai, our two Welsh producers, will be fuming. Mm-hmm. Gareth Bale in twenty fifteen, uh, nineteen goals, ten assists. And actually, if we're sticking with Bale, I mean twenty fifteen he was outrageous and provided moments. Twenty sixteen, in terms of taking a country essentially to the semi-finals and when it making it about uh expectations and getting past that gareth bale and what he's done in his career trophies taking international teams to, to great heights scoring goals winning player of the year he's done a lot but not in a enough of a congested time <laughs> and Kai's just written a comment on the chat saying, and the goal against England. Yeah. What was the score though? <laughs> what was the final score? Um, <laughs> he did, he's been subject to the calendar as well. In terms of great players that will never win a Ballon d'Or, he, he didn't truly do enough or collect all the ingredients needed to get, get near it. But he does have all the ingredients. 
he's definitely another one of those though where like if you take the Wales example and go what he's done with Wales is actually out of this world he's put Wales on the map genuinely on an international stage on his own pretty much um no disrespect to Hal Robson Cannon and them guys but Bale is genuinely at that incredible level 2015-16 my only thing is 2015-16 he only played 23 league games I think you you also have to back it like if you're fit you're it one of my good friends, James Alcott, said on a show the other day, he's not been fit often enough. There was only one season at Madrid where I can see he played over 30 games. So that also has a little ripple effect. I think you've got to be available all the time, which is testament to Ronaldo, to Messi, to Salah, to all these That's guys. That's a great point. That's such a great point. To actually get in. And I think if people look back and go, yeah, but his goals and assists were incredible. That Yeah, they were. And what he did with Wales was incredible, but he wasn't actually fit all the time. And if you're not always available, people will forget things like that. And that's where the calendar year comes in because that's looking at a season long. But because the next season he plays 19, the calendar year, he probably actually doesn't play as many games. Fascinating. Let's talk about, let's move on from Ronaldo Messi. Uh, Although I'm sure, I do feel like they've they've had an effect of how we look at it moving forward because I think we're searching for the new pairing to that sort of battle it out of the next... 10 years or so and I'm intrigued to know if you think that will be the case but 2020 the cancelled Ballon d'Or shameful stuff uh, it was cancelled due to Covid although the league's pretty much all finished and again it's done in a calendar year um, Lewandowski uh, had it pretty much nailed on I've got a great little comment where from uh, an article where they Graham Hunter was talking about, see if I can find it just quickly. Graham Hunter was talking about who should win it. He says, it's impossible not to decide that Lewandowski has been 2020's most dominant, most exceptional footballer. And this vote comes from someone who firmly believes that across his career, the Poland international has been good, but never top class. Something of a flat track bully who feasts upon lesser teams. But in this era of teenage tyros, He's talking about Sancho and Erling Haaland and all-time legends in Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. To watch a 32-year-old be the dominant reason for Bayern becoming only the second club to win a second treble, Bundesliga, German Cup and Champions League, thanks to a a veritable flood of goals. Well, that's both uplifting and unbeatable, says Graham Hunter. Wow. 49 goals in 41 Bundesliga games, uh, Bundesliga and Champions League games. I mean, he was absolutely outrageous in the Champions League as well. Utterly robbed, wasn't he? Utterly. He was. But then I'm looking back at the years and the last person to win it from the Bundesliga, uh, the years on this are absolutely scattered all over the place. I could be wrong. Hopefully, Kai, the producer, is going to help me out. But I think it is... Is it Lothar Matthias in 1990? That's a... That's a long time. And I think mid-1990s is when La Liga started really kicking off and Serie A was chipping in a little bit. I think the moment you have Zidane and these guys start winning it, the, the it completely changes. And I think the Bundesliga tax starts to play a big factor. If if you're voting for a Ballon d'Or winner as a, as a person yourself who's a, a, a broadcaster and works in the space, do you look at Bundesliga and go, yeah, but if I put this striker in that league for Bayern, he probably scores 50 goals. I think there's that as well. I, I think that's a. I think that's a, um, a broader problem. So we're saying it. You know, it's got to be Barcelona. It's got to be Real Madrid. And by the way, uh, Matthias Sammer, 1996, Borussia Dortmund. He won it. They won the Euros as well, and he won the Champions League. And he was amazing actually back then. But 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the league matters. I think Mbappe, without the without the Champions League, despite having you know obviously won the World Cup, um, he can't get near it because there's a feeling that the league's not strong enough. And I wonder, I do wonder with Messi and Ronaldo obviously coming to the end and, and neither currently playing in La Liga, Benzema was able to sort of get it over the line. And, Cha- and, and Real Madrid, although I think they are wonderful and I think they're actually better than they were last season. Last season, there were several games during that Champions League run where you're like, surely not, surely not. Like it just felt like destiny for them, and he was outrageously clutch. But he, even himself, is getting older. So the pulling power of those those guys and the money is obviously in the Premier League. Are we about to embark on a fifteen year run where, because all the best players in the Premier League, they will finally, the world will sort of finally turn, and you will see? Because I think we're struggling to see how the romance in a Man City winner or in a Man United winner. But I think that's maybe because we're a little bit too close to it. But this is, you know, this is the league. The Premier League is the league. But Premier League was the league like the last ten years as well. And but we, that, yeah, but I, I think that but the but they haven't won all of the Champions Leagues. So if you think of the Champions Leagues that they've won, right? Uh, Ronaldo wins it in two thousand and eight when Man United win it. Uh, Liverpool get undone by Messi and Ronaldo. Chelsea oh, yeah. won it twice, both times were ridiculous if we're honest they weren't mm. the best team in Europe they just won it twice so I think when you've now got say say Man City win it this year and you haven't got Messi and Ronaldo wh- you know where else can you turn when it comes to the Ballon d'Or that Premier League dominance well, feels like it's on its way surely and I think you're right in Bundesliga like that he got undone by Covid and he would have he would have won it but he only wins it because they win the Champions League and that's why I think moving forward, one name that it's going to be interesting to see what he does is Musiala. Because I think Bayern Munich yeah. will want to build their future teams around him, understandably so. Can he win a can he win a Ballon d'Or without winning the Champions League and an international trophy at the same time? He's going to need those receipts for sure, because I don't think he'll provide the numbers. I don't think he wins it though, unless he changes his game because he he is like he's this total footballer that we love watching play football. So he's got the aesthetics receipts. He plays for Bayern, so that's one receipt down. So we're at zero. <laughs> um, and I, I I just like when I if I if you said to me now like go and pick an under twenty three player that you'd love in your team, I would honestly pick Musiala or maybe Vinicius. It's between them two. But if I had to pick one of those two to win the Ballon d'Or for the next 10 years, I'm picking Vinicius nine times out of 10 because I know he wins the Ballon d'Or. And that's where Musiala is kind of stuck because he plays for the best team in Germany. They may or may not win the Champions League. But Germany, the country, the international team are going through transition. So he probably doesn't touch an international trophy for a little while as well. So he can kiss goodbye to the Ballon d'Or for a little while, regardless of how good he is. That's a massive problem because we cannot keep picking players because of the team they play for. Because Mbappe yeah. right now is it, Mbappe's listening to the ripple effect right now, going, "I need to get myself over to Madrid next week because uh, I'm not touching a Ballon d'Or until I go over there." And then before you, a whole before you do that, Gillian, could you come on the ripple effect? That would be wonderful. <laughs> be a decent idea. Um, yeah. yeah. So then that kind of leaves you in the situation where we're back in the Salah conversation where we're going, "If he had left Liverpool, he wins a Ballon d'Or, or he certainly gets closer." Yeah. Right, uh, we will be back very soon talking about this year's Ballon d'Or and future winners.
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Right, 2023, that's the year we're in. And the winner of the Ballon d'Or looks like, according to reports and betting odds, that there's a 73% probability that Messi will win it this year. He's the hot favourite. And let's be honest, he's winning it. If we talk about numbers or trophies or performances, we're talking about the World Cup performances. I'm going to go steaming in. Is this, if he wins it and he's not really done much else, you know, due to his standard, uh, you know, going up against his previous standards, is this a pity prize for Lionel Messi that the world will regret giving him? No, absolutely not. That <laughs> one... One that one month of World Cup, you've done so well to not wind me up, and I think you just hit me over the edge. That one, that that one month of World Cup performances, I don't. There's there's footballers out there who will not ever be able to play at that level for a month. You know, like if if you went, uh, Carlin, can you go and win that World Cup with Argentina? No. De Bruyne, can you go and win the World Cup with Argentina? No. None of these guys can do what he did for a month. I think that month is so significant to this year's Ballon d'Or, especially considering the rest of the contenders that we will definitely talk about. Um, he carried Argentina to the, the the World Cup win and he was by far the best player of that tournament. And he also had the moments and he also scored worldies and he and he also he had everything. He gave you everything you wanted from a World Cup. If, if you took everything out of that World Cup and just watched Argentina and Messi for that World Cup, you still got everything you'd want from a World Cup just because of that little guy. So, it, it for you it was as simple as that. Like that World Cup win and the way he did it means that he didn't do he didn't really need to play another game for PSG. Yeah, literally, simple as that. Literally, literally. Um, okay. because he that actually has happened. He actually has done nothing for PSG. Well, yeah, and because the, the obviously the other name here for me is, I mean, Benzema's been great again. Vinicius Junior, I think is. Uh, the way I put it when, with Vinicius Jr. is, is there a more dangerous player in football right now than Vinicius Jr.? I don't think there is. And again, I think if we're picking teams, I think Vinicius Jr. is right up there for me. Absolutely right up there. But in terms of receipts, and you're suggesting that Lionel Messi has the, you know, he has the biggest receipt of all. That is a, that is a doozy. And he's just going to go bang. Haaland... So we get to November and Haaland scored 100 goals in a calendar year. <laughs> Are you still giving it to Lionel Messi? He's done nothing apart from obviously that amazing month. Yeah, but that caveat is the biggest caveat going like, apart but, from... But are you saying that's not possible? I don't, I, again, it comes down to the He's 13 away the from 63 thing. at the time of recording. 63 goals. So that means in his 30 between, in his 30 between August and November or wherever it's done. 100 goals. Haaland scores 100 goals and you're going to give it to him. No, because there's like the context to the whole thing is 
do they win the treble? Are we saying he wins the treble? He breaks the Premier League goal scoring record and scores 100 goals between now and October 16th when the Ballon d'Or is decided. Are you, is that the stipulation? He has to if he does all of them versus Messi just winning the World Cup and not doing anything between now and then. Uh, so here's the reason I call it a pity prize, possibly, is the fact that it feels a bit. <laughs> it feels a bit Ryan Giggs at the end of his career. Do you know what I mean? When he won, <laughs> yeah, I think he won, didn't he win like sports personality or something as well? He won something else and he would played 12 games or something like that. But he'd been such a, you know, great player that they were like, oh, go on. He, you know, he deserves it for all the years that he's had. Yeah, but you're comparing like Ryan Giggs' 12 games that were like testimonials to Messi doing it in a World Cup. I'm not Cup. saying... I'm not saying you can't pick holes in it. What I'm saying is, if you look at all his other victories, he's won it through constant, utter dominance. Clearly, the best player in the world. We're if you're picking, if you're picking teams, come back to that. Is he your first? Is Lionel Messi your first pick from his? If you're giving me year? the World Cup version of Lionel Messi as my first pick. He's definitely ahead of Haaland. As if the World Cup version of Messi was unplayable, every team in the world tried to stop him. Mbappe scored a hat trick in a damn final, and he still and he still couldn't stop him. And I would mm. argue Mbappe has more of an impact on a game than say someone like Haaland. And so they're like, there's if if I gave France Haaland right now for that final, France lose that final worse than they did with Mbappe. That's the Messi ripple effect. And so there's there's no question in my mind that like Messi would win. Uh, the Ballon d'Or. Like Harlem, Harlem could score 200 goals and I honestly, it would not bother me because I think the aesthetics were there for Messi. The narrative was there. The story was there. He wins the biggest prize in football and he does it for Argentina. There's that as well. Like You have to remember how how cursed Argentina have been and he's gone and done it. I hear, no, I hear that. I hear that. You've got, we've got to discuss these things. I think because I think that will be the thing with Haaland as well. He's setting a watermark for himself now, which I mean, when we talk about Salah and the problems he's having in terms of people's perception of him. But as I say, Haaland, whatever he does this year, people are expecting to do it next year. And because he's about goals and not a huge amount else, uh, amount, sorry, I can't speak, and not about much else, the, the problem he's going to have moving forward with Ballon d'Ors is he's going to have to have all those basic receipts because he plays for Man City. So he's going to, he will have to win essentially at least a double, I think, and he'll need to be scoring. 60, 70 goals a season, I think. Because I think otherwise, the aesthetic of Vinicius Jr., the aesthetic of Mbappe is quite strong here. So that's, I don't think, the, the good thing is he's, you know, he's in the right place to do all those things. And now that kind of moves us on quite nicely, right? Onto the sort of future of the Ballon d'Or. And actually, sort of final thing, if Lionel Messi isn't in the Ballon d'Or this year, do you think whoever wins out of Real Madrid and Man City in the upcoming semi-final goes on and win, because essentially you would expect them to win the Champions League, would go on and win this hypothetical Ballon d'Or, finishes Junior up against Haaland? I think Haaland has to win a treble to win the Ballon d'Or. And so, yes, for Haaland. I don't know if Vinicius... And if, if Madrid go and win the Champions League, they've done nothing in the league. I don't think Vinicius is even in the conversation this year. Like, I have no idea who I'd actually put third. Um, I think you're going Messi, Haaland, and then a question mark over third, especially if Vinicius doesn't win um, the Champions League. 
trying to think yeah. of who else could be third. Yeah, I, I get what you mean because they've not won the league. And they're miles off the it. They're yeah. miles off the league. And so trying to think of who in the year to now. Maybe, I mean, maybe De Bruyne, if he if he continues the way he's playing in this, in this you know, business end of the season, he was absolutely amazing yesterday. He could be a third place. He's probably one of the greatest players never to win it as well, actually. Let me think about it. Yeah, he's he's classic. Like last eight games of the season, he can turn it on. First fifteen games of next season, he won't turn it on. So he he just switches it on and off. I actually don't think there's a standout third best. Like someone like Saka, and it comes again full circle to what I was saying about not needing to win something. Someone like Saka to do this, achieve this with Arsenal, with this Arsenal team taken from fifth to what it will eventually look like is going to be second is out out of this world. But they didn't do well in Europe at all. But he did very well for England. And so I think someone like Saka might be thinking, I'm, I might even pinch third here. Maybe Ollie Watkins is an option. It's Get out of here. <laughs> right, the future of the Ballon d'Or then. First of all, so can the Ballon d'Or kind of return to what it was in terms of, in terms of those several winners? Or do you think, the you know, the social media, the marketing, the sort of stat padding that we're kind of seeing these days, do you think the next 10 years is Mbappe versus Haaland? Trying to think of other contenders. Uh, Vinicius has to have a shout, but like Vinicius is not scoring 40, 50 goals in a season. Um, although it comes back to what you said earlier, Vinicius is not the main man at um, Madrid. Benzema is similar to how when Bale went to Madrid, Ronaldo was, and then Ronaldo was and Benzema was there. Eventually, Ronaldo had to leave for Benzema to go and win the Ballon d'Or. So maybe Benzema has to go for Vinicius to win the Ballon d'Or. Then Mbappe could end up going there. So Vinicius is in this cycle of like always being the second man, I think. So it probably does lead you to end. It ends up just being the two guys who score the most goals. Yeah. Which is boring. Well, yeah. Which is interesting <laughs> because Real Madrid play the way they play, not because of Benzema, in my opinion, more so because of Vinicius Jr. Because you've got someone so electric out there and a lot of older boys and you need to find a way to, to stretch the pitch uh, as much as having those techie players that they've got there. Do you think that this... Um, long-standing Real Madrid kind of winner scenario, Barcelona scenario, and Barcelona might find their way back to it, of course. Does that lead to certain players looking to make that move uh, towards Real Madrid? Because I think Real Madrid are looking pretty strong for a long time, but there's also a change that needs to come. Does that play in the minds of, say, a couple of English um, options, Bellingham and Saka, in terms of can Saka win... With Man City as strong as they are, season in, season out, can Saka win a Ballon d'Or at Arsenal? I don't think he's bothered about that. But if he was bothered about that, at some point, and we saw it with, say, Fabregas, Van Persie, those kind of players, they're going to want to move on. Are they all going to want to move to Real Madrid quickly so that they can take the spot of the Modric's, the Cruz, Benzema at some stage? Saka's going to be in the Salah bracket for me if he doesn't move. He'll, he'll always think, if I went to, I could have. But I also don't think he will leave. Jude Bellingham, I don't think, will get near the Ballon d'Or. Again, it comes down to, like, he won't put the numbers in. Um, and he's an all-action midfielder. Although I do think he's actually slightly misprofiled. I think he's better in the final third. But I don't think you, I don't think you watch Jude Bellingham and go, that's a, that's a Ballon d'Or winner. Um, I think, actually, Pedri, not too far down the road, is probably more of a Ballon d'Or, Ballon d'Or contender in years to come than... Jude, but again, that's because we've been hardwired to think Xavi and Iniesta are the best midfielders ever, and so Pedri's in that mould, and now Pedri is 
the best midfielder ever. And so there's always that, like the perception just rolls on. Um, I also do wonder what, like if Saka goes to Madrid or could he, could he even go to Madrid? Like if Mbappe goes to Madrid, Saka's got nowhere to go. Again, Salah was stuck in that cycle and various others. Yeah. And in terms, you know, Mbappe, I'm pleased you brought him up because if we're suggesting that really it's quite difficult for Mbappe to win that Ballon d'Or at PSG and he's always flirted with Real Madrid, we thought he was going to go there last year. If he does go there, do we see Vinicius Jr. as that Neymar figure who then has to move on as well? Is that the ripple effect from Mbappe being there? Because he's not going to be the main man there. Or, or are we overthinking works. all of this and none of them really care? They just want to win <laughs> trophies. No, nah, they all definitely care. Um, but Mbappe definitely cares. I'm, I'm, I don't know the guy for sure, but I'm quite convinced he'd, he'd love a Ballon d'Or because he, he wants to be on the Ronaldo Messi level. But yeah. I don't, I don't even think Mbappe and Vinicius can work in the same team. Like Vinicius is a better footballer than Mbappe, far more intelligent, far more dangerous. But Mbappe not as good a finisher, not a good a finisher. Although Mbappe is wasteful as well. Um, but. You can't, I, I think the thing that's going to happen to Vinicius is they're going to say, go and play on the right because Mbappe has to play on the left. And then he's just kissed goodbye to his Ballon d'Or because he can't play off the right-hand side. And so he's kind of stuck in this position of... He's probably thinking, I really don't want Madrid to sign Mbappe because I can be the Mbappe here. That's what I think he, he'll be thinking. Um, because he'll also be thinking if Mbappe comes, there's, there's no chance for him to play in the position that he, he plays best in. So, yeah, it's... Mbappe's a weird one, man. And I think Mbappe needs to not go to Madrid. If we want to see like like footballers go head to head over the next few years, keep Haaland at City, keep Vinicius at Madrid, get Mbappe somewhere else, keep Pedri oh, where, at Barca. Where, where, where on earth could he go, Naved? Yeah, I was just thinking. Actually, there's nowhere else to go. <laughs> oh, no, I thought this was your pitch for Liverpool. No, 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 no. He's not coming to Liverpool. Um, we got Darwin Nunez and we've got Cody Gakpo. It's not a Liverpool podcast, so I don't need to right. pipe them guys up. Um, <laughs> what I would say, interesting point of that Benzema position and, and who will take it and how it might change. First of all, if Kane had gone to Man City, it would have prevented Haaland from going there. And it oh, could but... have led to, first of all, Kane winning a Ballon d'Or this year. Secondly, it could have been Haaland at Real Madrid. And if Haaland's at Real Madrid, does he win a Ballon d'Or a little bit quicker? And what does Here's that mean a question, Does Do you think Haaland eventually goes to Madrid? I don't, not for the next, I can't see him going for the next five years. What, you know, kind of why, not why would you? I think there's different stages of your career and he's in sort of stage two where it's like, okay, development done, now outrageously good and then utter prime utter prime he might want to go to to Real Madrid I wonder so you're saying for the next five years there's a five-year window where Madrid have to find a striker to play through the middle and mm. then we may see Haaland versus Mbappe and eventually maybe see both of them in the same team at Madrid <sighs> I mean they might fancy that you know because as much as everyone will pit them against each other might, all they've got to do is text each other and go this could be fun couldn't it <laughs> And that's that's gonna be like that's gonna be class. I do wonder, you know, I hadn't really thought about this, but Harry Kane at Real Madrid playing the ball into Vinicius Junior that works for me. That works so well because he is a creator as much as a goal scorer. If you think of a player who's who's like Benzema but isn't Benzema but is that good, it's Harry Kane. So I wonder if, as much as we're talking about Man United. 
is there an option there where you go, Harry, come here, play for five years, tops, and then we'll go get Haaland? That would work for everyone. It would, but do you see, and this is a very like, um, it's almost like a jibe at Kane, but I don't mean it that way. Do you see Madrid fans wanting Kane at Madrid? Do you, like Madrid always sign a particular type of person, a particular sort of like, they have, they're named the Galacticos for a reason. And if you can't right. handle the heat in the kitchen, they're going to get rid of you. And I don't feel like Kane wants or has what they require in that in that way. Are you talking from like a marketing point of view? Marketing, aesthetics, um, like Kane's a total footballer, right? Like we love him because he's a like he's a he's a footballer's footballer, um, yeah. and he's a brilliant to brilliant to watch, fantastic, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. When I think about Madrid players, I don't for a minute think about um he's a wonderful footballer. The first thing I think is like, yeah, he, he's got a, like banging marketing, like he's got this many followers. Like that's what Madrid make you feel when right. you think about their players. And I don't feel like Harry Kane will ever have that type of stature. I mean, Gareth Bale went there and hated it because he couldn't live to that expectation of be that character. And he is, I, and he's yeah. more. I think, I, the more I think about it, I think he's a wonderful fit. And I think he could deal with the pressure of it. I think he'd enjoy the pressure of it. He'd get to wear the same kit, essentially. I think that would <laughs> feel good for him as well as England and Tottenham. I but think that wait, really, really does he Does he leave the Premier League because he wants to break Alan Shearer's record? I think he'd have to make his peace with that. But I, I think, like, does is, is that really what he wants? Or does he want to win some finals or titles? That has to be the answer. The, the answer can't be the all-time Premier League. If that comes, then great. And that's why he might go to Man United instead to see if he can get both. But he might end up with nothing. Whereas Real Madrid, you're guaranteed something at some point. And I think as a stopgap, which sounds bizarre when you talk about Harry Kane, I think it's a really, really nice shout. A couple of uh, final ones when it comes to... Uh, the Ballon d'Or future winners uh, with the mess at Chelsea. Does it mean Enzo's career will now never reach the heights that it could have? Could he be stuck in that? He's going to be there for a long time. Amortization and all that. Is he a player that could have ever got near it? More of a vibes player, isn't he? He's not really. Good. Yeah, he's a like, second third, isn't he? He's a finished second third kind of guy. I, I he'll think. he'll be the sort of guy that ends up getting third, similar to like the Jorginho year or you know that sort of vibe of people are like it's a disgrace that he's up there because he he doesn't make you feel that that we've been taught to be feeling when we watch Ballon d'Or winners, but like outrageous footballer. I like the next final. One. I like it a lot. Final question. <laughs> final question. We'll end with this. And again, guys, let me know your pick for this. And whilst you're there, follow the podcast, go follow no ratings podcast as well. And give us both five star reviews. Cause it honestly massively helps who in the next seven years, which <sighs> one player Wins the most Ballon d'Ors. Seven years. I'm trying to think of contenders. Um, I've only one name springs to mind. Uh, Mbappe. I think if he goes to Madrid, that's game over. I think like Haaland can do anything he wants in the Premier League. Mbappe's going Mbappe's to win the Ballon d'Or multiple times. Uh, we're, we're in this situation now where we're going, Haaland's so, so good, but Mbappe's still better. You know, and like Haaland's putting in the numbers that you've just said earlier. Um, I think, yeah, for my judgment anyway of the Ballon d'Or is the best footballer. And I think the best footballer on his day is Mbappe. And I don't think Haaland's the best footballer. And so Haaland's currently potentially winning a treble and he's still going to finish second to Messi. He might even finish third because Mbappe might sneak second. If Mbappe sneaks second this year, that's your answer to the question. Mbappe mm -hmm. goes on to like do it for the rest of the time. 
And one thing that just popped in my head, which actually I think is quite crucial here, is Haaland, most likely, will never win an international tournament. And that, yes. is, that is a receipt that he will never really, you would imagine, be able to get near. And because of that, that makes life a lot harder. So the safe bet, I agree with you, is Mbappe. But I actually think, I think it will bounce about. I think it will bounce about a bit um, for the uh, foreseeable. Nabade, legend. Loved it. Fascinating. I don't think I've ever said Ballon d'Or so many times in my life. And, I don't think uh, I've ever said Ripple so many times in my life. <laughs> yeah, I know, mate. Well, yeah. Like, well, that's, uh, we do that a lot here. Um, but mate thank you so much really really appreciate it and as I said guys go check out the No Ratings podcast and uh, follow both that one and this one thank you so much have a great week great day great evening great morning whatever it may be we'll see you soon